want to start a band. I don't think that I actually want to do anything with it. I just want to be able to say, yeah, I'm in a band. Like, I, <laughs> I think we don't play any shows. We don't practice. <laughs> we don't practice. We don't play any shows. Yeah, I'm in a band. <laughs> but uh, I haven't recorded anything. You haven't done anything with it. You're in the band. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode. Uh, we are actually, uh, believe it or not, recording this one right after our last one. So this is kind of the Calvary Coffee left leftover coffee hour, I guess is the best way to describe it. We've moved into the Calvary water hour at this point because if we drink any more coffee, we are probably not going to be coherent uh, enough to even um, do this. So, but we are... Uh, excited we are going to do a couple things we're going to do a part two on our last from our last episode looking at some more questions but one of the things we want to start off with on this episode is actually talking about right now media so if you remember sunday we introduced you guys to the platform itself and we launched it as a church and some of you are saying oh i haven't got the email on that yet please continue to let us know um all of that information so we can get you an invite link. We can get you the email and you can get on there and start doing that. Um, but Travis and I are excited about it. Nathan's excited about it. Um, Melina and Amanda, Paul, we're all excited about it. And um, we really want to make sure that uh, everyone has access to this, that everyone kind of has a little bit of an idea of what we are hoping to accomplish with it. And part of what we've done is we have a strong desire to see families grow. We have a strong desire to see individuals grow. And there's a lot of content on there to help with doing that. And so a couple things to kind of get you moving on that, especially if you're like a parent with kids. Parent with kids, it's got a whole kids section with a lot of cool, great content uh, for kids to watch. Um, And if you really spend some time in there, you're going to find that as you're looking at things, especially on the computer platform, if you're looking at it on your phone or on like your Roku TV or Apple TV or smart TV, if you're looking at it through the app, you may not see access to some of the things that you can see if you're looking at it on a computer. So if you're a parent, I want to encourage you, look at some of the episodes that your kids are watching with this on the computer. And you may find like parent devotional guides. You may find some parent downloads uh, that you can have access to that will allow you to uh, lead family devotional time or lead Bible study time. And we want to encourage you, please get online and do that. So the computer platform is a little bit different than like just the app on your phone or on your iPad or on your TV. So definitely spend some time looking at that. Um, and then there's like a there's like a whole like just for as a you section. And this is where we think it's kind of cool. Um, Travis and I've talked about this, I think pretty regularly that this is a great platform. Like if you have some friends and you guys meet regularly and y'all want to do Bible study, this is a cool platform where you can do that together. Um, so Travis has his computer out right now and he's actually looking at it. Yeah. So I'm just looking over everything. And I think what excites me most about this is like, it doesn't matter who you are, what stage of life you're in. Like there's something for you Yeah. on this platform. Um, whenever you're logging in, it says that there's over 20,000 different videos Golly. on this platform. And so if it's you've just, never, if you've never looked at it, if you didn't look into it on Sunday, um, it's basically like Netflix or whatever your streaming platform of mm-hmm. choices. Uh, but it's all on Bible study and I guess even Christian entertainment. There's like veggie tales and stuff for kids, but it's mostly yeah. Bible studies. And so, um, and there's some really big names on here. So just on the like right now media original section at the top that they're really pushing, they've got a whole study on the gospel of Mark with Francis Chan, the book of Ephesians by J.D. Greer, the book of Colossians with Louis Giglio, the gospel of John with Tony Evans, um, Genesis with Charlie Dates. They've got a uh, book of first Corinthians with Jenny Allen. I mean, on and on and on Psalm 23 with Matt Chandler. Like these are some pretty big names in the current church world. Yeah. Um, doing some really cool book studies, but there's not just book studies. I mean, Tony Evans has one on race. Um, 
through some like John Mark Comer books that I'm looking at, some Jenny Allen books I'm looking at. Uh, here's one for 10 essential, 10 essentials for youth workers. So I'm going to make all my volunteers watch those. <laughs> um, there's specific Easter studies. There's kids Easter studies. There's Easter week family devotionals that are only five minutes. So it's like those would be great for people to walk through if if they access this like immediately after the launch. Yeah. Um, there's a section for Christian living. There's Bible studies just for women, Bible studies just for men. Um, like I said, kids TV shows. There's a whole section for youth. So I will be using some of those in Sunday school. Um, there's a whole section on marriage. There's a whole section on parenting, a whole section on apologetics, a whole series on doctrine and theology. Um, the Bible project missions and outreach, there's a series on mental health. There's one on finances. There's conferences that have happened in the past that they recorded, I guess. So if you wanted to go to a conference and didn't, well, maybe you can find the video oh, format yeah. here. There's a whole section on finances. I see Dave Ramsey's picture up. Uh, I mean, literally everything. I don't care who you are, what you're interested in. Like, there is free, or free to you. The church is paying for it, but yeah free resources that anybody can access at any point. So the one of the one of the neat ones on there that I saw the other day cuz again if you listen to the last podcast, you know I'm really into leadership. Um Henry Cloud has a whole section on there which Henry Cloud has been great in the uh counseling world as well as in kind of like the mental health leadership. Like he's got <sighs> him and Cloud and Townsend, they wrote the book Boundaries and it is just phenomenal. But Henry Cloud does a lot. He has his own leadership university on there. And what's interesting about that is you can go on and you can do, if you are like, if you're in our church and you are an entrepreneur, you own your own business or you manage a business, there are things on there that don't just help you as an individual. They also help you as an owner of a business or as a manager, um, just ways that you can understand even work as it comes to your relationship with Jesus and work as worship. I think JD Greer has a whole study on uh, work as worship in there. And so, um, so we're not just talking about stuff for your spiritual part of your life, but how your spiritual life integrates into your everyday life. So I think that those are important aspects to point out and remember too, because, uh, our goal is not for you just to be a good, like Sunday Bible believer, but to be able to, to take the things that you know and believe and understand to be true and integrate those into the everyday part of your life. So that you're actually being a Christ follower Monday through Sunday instead of like Sunday and Wednesday. So we want to really help you guys understand how that looks and what that looks like. And so um, check out all of those things. Um, if you go to the browse section, there's like um, you can search by teacher. So like if you really like Max Lucado or John Piper or Bob Goff or, you know, whoever like you can search by teacher, so that's cool. Um, you can also search by age, so kids, youth, men, women, college, young adults. There's a whole one for pastors and ministry staff, so there yeah. might even be trainings that we do as a staff. Um, there's stuff for schools, stuff for small groups, but you can also search topically. Um, like I kind of mentioned a lot of the topics earlier, but you were talking about work, so if you're curious how you fit your faith into your nine to five, like you could go to that. Mm -hmm. There's whole stuff on... Um, worship on, you know, just so much stuff on here. Um, and then there's also like funny clips, real life stories. So like testimony stuff, like if you can think about it, <laughs> it's on here. Oh yeah. And I think that's the interesting part is there's so much vastness of what it is. So it's, it's kind of like Netflix. I mean, you got your drama and your comedies and your <laughs> rom-coms and your, um, but again, the goal I think for us is to be able to give you guys a resource where, man, if you're just tired of watching the same old thing on Netflix or on Amazon prime or Disney plus, or, uh, for those of you that still have Disney plus cause you haven't dropped it based on their <laughs> last stuff. But, um, I mean, this is just a, this is just something for you to be able to say, Hey, maybe when the kids are asleep and you as a couple just say, Hey, we we need to just do like a, a Bible study. Some of these videos aren't but like 14 or 15 minutes long. Some of them are like literally two to three. Yeah. I mean, some of them are short. And, but they get, they get some conversation started and they get you talking. And, um, and that's the thing. These aren't bait. These aren't designed to be the end all be all, um, 
study that you do. They're designed to help you have conversation and to engage one another in conversation. Um, and even, man, even if you want to have a group over at your house midweek, maybe it's friends and coworkers and y'all do a study together. This is for y'all to do that. Um, and we just ask, man, if you, if you do that, let us know because, uh, not that we want to control or, or anything, but we just want to uh, say thank you and praise you for just doing uh, awesome ministry and, uh, see if there's a way that we could just assist you and help you. Um, but we're, I mean, we're excited. We even, you know, we're hoping that this fall we can even use this as a great small group platform for us in some way. Uh, more as a supplemental thing. Uh, I think when we talk about small groups here, people get real nervous and they're like, oh, you're going to take away my Sunday school. And no, that's not our goal. I at didn't all. know if you were going to bring that up or not, but well, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's I, I, in full transparency, I mean, that's one of our end games, I think, is to try to figure out how to bring in that element of building community and fellowship without taking too much away from the other aspects of what we do and spiritual growth and leadership within our church during the week. So I think when we talk about Right Now Media and we talk about small groups, we're not talking about using that to replace something that already exists. I think if anything, we're talking about that as a way to help people understand that we are looking at trying our best to add in um, opportunities and times for people to get together. I think that one of the things that we can do real quickly in church life is we can neglect community and we isolate that to like maybe an hour on a Sunday. Cool. That's fine. But as a believer, I need to be around Christians regularly, especially in the crazy cultural times that we have. So if we can create an atmosphere, um, during the week, apart from being in this building, this facility where people can get together and talk about their life in Christ and be a little more open and vulnerable, man, I want to do that. Um, yeah. And, and my hope is with, with these small groups, whenever we launch this is that there's people who, if we just asked them to lead a small group, like they might be nervous about it, but it's like, Hey, you can just play this video yeah. and then like, we will help you come up with questions. And really, you're just talking about it with people that are in a similar stage of life as you. And you don't have to be a theologian. Like, you don't have to do a ton of prep work. But, like, this resource will help us maybe dive into some conversations that will be helpful at yeah. that communal level. And I think, too, it's more than just starting, like, a... I would say it's more than just having a small group of people that are in your church. Um, I think that we believe that... Uh, if we invite people to church, they should come type thing. But some people have a really bad experience with church and the thought of walking into a facility may give them anxiety, just the thought of walking into a facility. But walking into your home and experiencing an aspect of our church there can help break down some of that anxiety, can help break down some of that barrier. So like I'm Trojan horse for evangelism. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying, I mean, our goal is, I mean, we want people obviously we want people to come here and worship with us on Sunday, but we also want to give people an opportunity to experience our church, maybe not have to be at the facility to do that. So anyway, there's a lot of things that we could talk about in that. And I think the big thing that we need to just remember is as a church, if we, if, and when we move into a small group addition to what we're doing on a weekly basis, I don't, I don't see that as being something that replaces what we're doing right now. And I don't see that as being something that uh, negates our Sunday school hour. Our Sunday school hour is extremely important for Sunday mornings and we want to keep that moving and going and growing. Um, and it's a great tool of evangelism and growth. Um, and it's not going to replace, you know, our Wednesday nights and our midweek Bible studies that are already taking place here at the facility it may just be midweek Bible studies that meet somewhere other than our facility. So, or during the week. So whatever those look like, we're not really sure yet. And then they may not even meet every week. They may meet like every other week. Um, but just as a way for people to continue to grow and have community and fellowship together. So that's kind of our goal on that end. So a little bit about Right Now Media there. And then uh, if you have more questions about Right Now Media, we want to help you with that. So don't, don't worry. Call us here at the office. We want to help you navigate and do bring your phone, bring your tablet, um, golly, if you, if you get us a, a pastry and a cup of coffee, we'll come to your house, help you set up on your TV, <laughs> <laughs> uh, feed us chicken spaghetti and we'll be cool. 
But um, yeah, so that's kind of the first part of what we wanted to give you guys was a little bit of a primer on that. And again, hopefully you guys can get involved in it and you'll be like, oh, did you know they had this? That's, oh, no, we didn't know that. So it'll be, it'll be fun kind of talking about it. Uh, but the other thing that we're going to do today is we're doing a part two of our Q&A. We only did about five questions out of the 10 that we kind of highlighted last time. The ones that we feel confident uh, answering off the cuff. And so we're going to try uh, with uh, leftover coffee and water in hand to um, finish those out. And I'm going to let Travis get us kicked off on that end because he has all of the questions marked. I'm literally just going blind at this. All right. So... First one for this episode of the podcast uh-huh. is what's something you've changed your mind on theologically? Oh, I think it's important to say you don't have to explain what or why you changed your mind. Just what's something that you did change your mind on? Man. Wow. that I mean, that's a that can be a tough one because I think people tend to lean on your understanding of salvation or your understanding of providence. Um, I think one of the things is, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up in church. I grew up in youth group. I grew up, you know, like second or third pew back from the pulpit. That's where we kind of sat and hung out. Um, So it was always taught to me and preached to me that we kind of had this free will type understanding of salvation. And in other words, not saying that, you know, we're free will Baptist or anything, but this Armenian approach to, and I, I don't say it's full on Armenian. Let me say Southern Baptist Armenian approach to um, what, what some of that looks like um, in terms of salvation. And so again, everything in that life was uh, you approach God and you approach the throne of God and um, you accept salvation and it's on you to make sure that happens. And so as I began to read more into just the Armenian approach and, and not to say that I don't believe that now, but as I began to read the Armenian approach, I think there were certain aspects of even that approach that I felt were more um, free will and salvation lost type perspective. So I felt like once you dove into that a little bit further, there was even this concept that you could potentially lose your salvation. And growing up, we believed in security of the believer. Even now I believe in the security of the believer that those who truly profess Christ and decide to follow him have that security. Now I'm, I'm going to use that word truly. And I'm going to hinge on that word because I think people profess Christ, but have no true profession of him. They just go, Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. There's a huge difference between, Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, Lord of my life. Those are two different phrases and two different mindsets of a believer. So anyways, even on that, I think that there are aspects of theologically, like I always kind of camped out in that era. But as I began to study more, um, and I looked at even the Calvinistic reformed side, and I looked at the Arminian kind of more free will side, I began to discover that there's that middle ground kind of in there. And I'm still, you know, looking at what that looks like for, for me, cause there's even different theories on that. Um, but I've kind of switched more to a compatibilist viewpoint where I do believe in God's providence and I believe that God is in control. And then I believe that God, uh, has divine intervention in our world. But I also believe that we as human beings have a responsibility, a human responsibility to that. And that, uh, when it comes to the cross, we are all compatibilists when it comes to the cross, because God can impress the Holy spirit upon us and can woo us through his Holy spirit. But we have to make the decision to, to accept that and to accept our sin and to, uh, accept his grace and his love and his mercy and repent from that. Like we still have to accept that and we still have to walk in that. And I think that, um, and it may have just been that it wasn't explained well when I was a kid. And so I just kind of went with what I knew and what I, what, what kind of half explanation I had. Um, but as I got older, those were things that I had to wrestle with and change because I didn't feel satisfied, just completely satisfied in one era, but I didn't feel completely encamped in another area. So I would think that's one thing that I've kind of changed theologically, but I know for you though, you, you have a lot of fun things, Travis, that you have 
probably altered theologically from yeah i could probably get in trouble on this one (laughs) (laughs) why did you pick this why did you pick it if you're gonna get in trouble well i'll i'll maybe not say some of those but (laughs) i'll save those for a time when i can lay them out in full um but yeah no i mean i agree with that one um I I prefer the term Molinist to compatibilist, but it's more or less the same idea. Um, well, even aspects because I looked into Molinism too. Even aspects of Molinism, I'd be like, like for me, I'd be like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm that far into it. So anybody who's interested in this conversation should read Kenneth Keithley's Salvation and Sovereignty book. Mm. Um, so I grew up more heavy on the free will side. In college, listening to a lot of John Piper, I swung the pendulum to the more Calvinistic Reformed side. Uh And then it was at seminary, um, one of my professors suggested reading Keithley's Salvation and Sovereignty. And Kenneth Keithley's a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So good Southern Baptist guy. We're all staying in the Baptist realm here. He he advocates for um, Molinism, which... You know, we could get into the history, and that actually comes from a Catholic who was writing a rebuttal to Calvin himself. So I'm not saying like full going the Molina part of Molinism, mm-hmm. but I think there is a compatibilist argument that is not super free will, but also not totally reformed. And there's a middle ground similar to what you're talking about that, you know, I used to be more reformed than I am now. Yeah. Um, I've also mentioned in the past that I changed from being pre-mill to all-mill while I was at seminary. So yeah. I know that one could get me in some hot water here. But uh just depends on who you talk to. Yeah. And I think that that's the, that's the interesting thing, though. All these things exist within the Baptist world. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, these guys are wonky, um, these things all exist. I mean, there, there's aspects of Arminianism and even Calvinism that exist within Southern Baptist world and in Southern Baptist life. Um it's just more of a preference thing, I think. And I have found that you can tend to you can tend to understand what kind of church believes what just from walking in and like seeing their service and hearing that sermon that first time, you'll go, Oh my gosh. Like it, it's not hard for me when I go visit churches like the rare Sundays that I'm off and I go visit a church to point out and go, Oh, okay, like I kind of get a weird interpretation of what this church is like but i like to go visit non-denominational churches i like to visit like assembly of god type churches because uh to me it's just interesting to see how different denominations or non-denoms bible churches function um because i think we get so conditioned in how we think church should look based off our experiences versus um allowing our church to be unique to who our church is yeah. Well, in talking about like the Baptist spectrum, um, I wasn't going to bring this one up, but since you did. Nice. Uh, Dr. Reed, Dr. Alan Reed, who uh-huh. was the pastor at First Baptist here in NAC, um, he gave me a book when I started talking about feeling called to ministry and seminary and all that called Fundamentals of Our Faith by Herschel Hobbes. Uh-huh. If I remember right, that book was written in the like 1950s mm-hmm. or 60s. It, I want to say fifties. Yeah. Um, so it's an older book and I remember, so when I was in youth group, I actually visited a friend's youth group. I won't name the church. Um, but I went to this other church for a series they did on answers in Genesis. And so they were talking about like kind of an apologetic for young earth creation Mm -hmm. and all the arguments for why the earth is only 6,000 years old or 8,000 or whatever it is. And that was just kind of what I believed because that's what they said, and it made sense to me in high school or junior high, whenever that was. And then I was reading this book that Dr. Reed gave me, and like literally in the name, it has the word fundamentals. And so I'm thinking this is going to be like a really conservative, and Hobbes was a very conservative mm-hmm. Baptist theologian. Um, he, he mentions in his chapter on creation that the word for day in Genesis 1 is the Hebrew word yom which can be translated like six different ways, including an infinite age. Isaiah and Ezekiel both use it that way. And so Hobbes comes to the conclusion, like I said, this is the 1950s. He's not trying to reconcile with Big Bang or evolution Mm -hmm. or anything like that. He's saying just from the Hebrew, I cannot say how old the earth is. And so if we want to 
explore what science is telling us about it being older. Mm-hmm. He says there's nothing in the Hebrew that prevents me from thinking that that could be true. Now, you have to get into questions about the historical Adam and what happened with the fall and death before the fall, and there's there's other questions there. Mm-hmm. But this was a extremely conservative, old-school Baptist theologian who's like, the earth can be old, and I don't see a problem with that in Scripture. And that was something that just opened my eyes to another point of view that is obviously a controversial point. But oh, yeah. coming from Hobbes, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, and I think that's a point of view, too, even that you're not going to hear as much about, it, especially in, in current generations, because there's such a focus on the present. I mean, the reality is the earth is here. Uh, and as Christians, we believe that whether it's old or new, that God has created the earth, and we believe that to be true, and that he's brought that into existence, and he's brought us to a point where we're at now. Um, so I think the reality is, and I've seen it. I've seen people debate about things that, um, in effect, you know, have certain value and they're nice to explore and to, to think about and learn and understand, especially when you look at the context of scripture and how you look at, at applying that to your daily life. But when it comes to the present situation right now, I think that most people go, okay, well, what about right now? Because, yeah, so the earth can be a billion years old. The earth can be like 6,000 years old. Uh, I can't pay my mortgage. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, so I think that there's there's that practical theology of where does it work for right now? And then there's that historical and biblical theology where we go, okay, well, let's let's look at this. I think most people within our churches that are sitting there every day, they want to know what what is practical to my life? What is an applicable theology to my life? right now because I'm drowning and I only have, you know, 30, 40, 20 more years uh, to figure this out. And I really want to get it right. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the case for 90 plus percent of people, but there are those who are interested or intrigued or yeah. they get hung up on this because of something they learned in school. And yeah. so I think it's important just for churches to have answers yeah, um, or at least, you know, have some book suggestions and know a little bit about these topics. It's but, good to have options. Um, <laughs> this next question kind of ties into that. And awesome. It's why is genre crucial to understanding the meaning of a given text? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm gonna let you start with that one. <laughs> okay. So, um, I guess we could just stick with that particular point of conversation with the age of the earth. Yeah. Um, so I know William Lane Craig has recently written a book on the historical Adam and he tries to advocate for Genesis 1 through 11 being what he calls mytho-history. And this caused a big uproar in the evangelical world. Um, I know a couple people who like got on Twitter and they were like, William Lane Craig's denying the Bible. And Craig was like, if you read the book, like you know that's not true. Like I fully believe it's 100% inspired and authoritative. Uh, but what he means by that is, in ancient Near Eastern cultures, myth wasn't just something that was like, like we think of mythology as a false story right, or something like that. And he's saying myth in the ancient Near Eastern world was the way in which people made sense of things. And so what he's saying is the very beginning of Genesis was the way for Israel to make sense of things. Um, like, the origin story of how did we get here? Why is there evil? Um, Why do we work? Why is there pain and suffering? All of that is crucial to our understanding of um, the creation of man, why we're here, what our relationship with God is like or not like. Um, All of those things are important to the very beginning part of Genesis. Yeah. Um, That's why he talks about the flood, other Ancient Near Eastern cosmologies had a flood narrative too. It's not like the Bible is the only ancient text that has that. And so he's saying like, this is sort of God setting the stage correctly against these other mythologies for the cultures that Israel would have been coming into context or into contact with. So that's important on how we understand Genesis 1 through 11 in particular, but maybe a more practical conversation around the genre debate or not debate, but genre conversation is like when we read the Psalms, we don't necessarily take those as like literal. Right. Like 
if you read something like God is my rock, we don't mean that God is physically a rock. Right. There's so a figurative to it. it. Yeah. There's poetry. There's there's things like that that it's like, is the Bible true? Yes. Does the Bible say God is a rock? Yes. Does that mean God is a rock? No. no. Because genre is important. Yeah. And I think that it, it even just then, I mean, you look at even just the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you're looking at the Pentateuch, you're looking at this kind of a um you're looking at this formation of the people of God and you're really reading a lot of even God's formation of their boundaries, of their law, of their practices, of their rights. You know, I think that this is kind of, and and it's still such a huge thing in Jewish orthodoxy today. The Pentateuch is what they rest upon. I mean, that is their foundation. Um, That is their being. And so they really do truly believe in that. I mean, uh, it's not uncommon in if you were to go to a even in America a traditional Jewish home, you'll even see that there's two stoves in a traditional Jewish home, uh, one for clean things and one for unclean, uh, because or not clean, but you can't mix things, and so they have two separate stoves that they can cook on. They even have in tradition in more modern Jewish homes in America, they have uh, automatic light switches. Because on Sabbath, it would be work to turn on a light. So they have switches that automatically go on and off for them. Um, so they still hold true to a lot of the things established in the Pentateuch. And so we, gotta, we have to look at the Pentateuch as that part of genre history. Is it important for us as Christians to, to know aspects and beliefs about God and kind of what? Yeah, of course, 100%. But for certain groups, religious groups, it is everything um and then the historical books this gives us a great picture of god then you look at like we talk about the psalms the proverbs the the just these these poetry that come into play um and seeing these poetic forms and then you get into even aspects of the new testament being able to distinguish between what is a gospel what is a pastoral epistle because sometimes we read things going oh this is so great for my life that was maybe written in such a way that it was not necessarily for us as an individual so much as it was for the church or it was for a individual pastor to know, Hey, this is how you lead a church. This is how you, uh, weed out the, the, you know, um, thresh the floor of, uh, the, the threshing floor with wheat, but, um, separating the wheat and the chaff. But there are, there are aspects that we just have to remember that genre genre, when we read a book gives us a clear picture of what we can expect out of that book. So when we know the genre, it, like if I were to say, hey, we're going to read a gospel today, you understand this is going to be the life and the teachings of Jesus. If I said, okay, we're going to read a pastoral epistle today, you're going to be like, oh, okay, like this is going to be more of like leadership for church and things like that. Yeah. Well, even in like the gospels, it's like um, one thing about genre is they are ancient like Roman biographies. And that's important for several reasons. But like one is that in that type of biography, they didn't have to write things in chronological order. So like we think of a biography as like going straight through someone's life, but that wasn't the case in the the Roman world. And yeah. so when you read, you know, sometimes like Matthew and Luke will have things like in a weird order. And it's because sometimes they were trying to write about a theme that Jesus was teaching on or a theme of healings or something. Uh, and it's like, wait, I thought that happened at this point, like closer yeah. to the crucifixion or whatever. And it's, it can be confusing. And some people I've heard on college campuses even say like, it's a contradiction. It's like, no, you just don't understand the genre. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's even important for church life because um, we, I mean, we want you to believe in scripture based off what it is. I mean, based off its inerrancy and its authority. Um, but at the same time, we want you to know why you believe it that way. And then you have to be able to give defense of it. So I think that genre is important, not just for reading and interpretation, but also for defense. And so, Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good shotgun blast on that question. Yeah, there's a lot more to it, but we'll yeah. uh, keep the ball going. rolling. Um, why is the doctrine of the Imago Day crucial for our current moment? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. Let's clarify. Yeah. Imago Day is Latin for the image of God. So the question is about why in the creation story it says that we, humans are made in the image of God, male and female. Why is that important? Oh, man. 
Well, you got to think in the time that we have right now, uh, you can be any image you want to. Uh, <laughs> you can, you I can, identify as a dog. I identify. I mean, when I was in youth group here, um, leading these kids out, they, this was kind of when this conversation was really becoming a more cultural hot topic. And uh, the kids were running around going, well, I identify as an Apache helicopter. <laughs> I'm like, I, don't think, I don't think you can identify uh, as an Apache helicopter. But like, for instance, um, one of the guys who, you know, we've been able to sit and have conversation. He's in Portland doing ministry. He said that, right, I think right now in Portland, there's like 30 different recognized ways that you can identify. And I'm like, how, how, how? I mean, that actually sounds low for Portland. Yeah. And that, I mean, that may be an old stat too. I mean, but again, we're in a culture right now where we're kind of being taught you can be anything and do anything you want. You don't have to be one thing. Um, I saw a video on Facebook where this guy was, it was, he was pranking people online, um, which there's whole platforms where people interact online and they like, just communicate and talk. But one of the things is they introduce and say, well, what are your pronouns? And so even in, in understanding on that, you've got teenagers and college kids wanting to be identified based on pronouns, not based on that. And even now, I mean, one of the big hot topics recently has been Disney's push in their parks <laughs> to no longer address people based off of gender. Yeah, they won't say ladies and gentlemen anymore. Your daughter won't be called a little princess. If she shows up in a dress and they'll be like, oh, look at you. There's no, oh, you're such a beautiful princess or things like that. So they won't even now acknowledge any of this. So there's that desire of inclusivity. So what's happening is just a general overall image of humanity is being robbed, I think, from human beings based off one agenda, one movement, and one push to, I wouldn't even say to unify things, but just to create this open-endedness. So the reason that the idea of the image of God in our lives is so important, I think, right now is because we've got to have something we can identify with. You know, I mean, when does it come down to, well, I no longer identify as an American, so I don't feel like I have to pay taxes in America. (laughs) You know, I, I feel like I'm really more of a space alien and I should only have to pay to, you know, my planet zero X nine and I have to pay taxes to them. Can I get the senior discount at IHOP if I identify as over 55? That's, you know, can I qualify for AARP? (laughs) You know, can I go ahead and get Medicare right now? I mean, it's easy to make fun of, but, but but this is important, but it is important. I mean, because then it takes away like even our legacy people that have been doing life for years and have earned the ability to retire and draw social security and do things like that, that could be robbed from them and taken away from them because anybody could identify as that, you know? Um, even the idea of children, like we, we focus more on the children aspect because I think that it's easier for people to exploit children. Um, although I do think a lot of our senior adults have a fair share of exploitation, obviously because they're scammed on a regular basis People take advantage of them all the time. And so, but I think that this idea of by not, by leaving things open-ended and we don't have something that we can identify with, I think that that really does lead us down a massive rabbit hole of problems. I was trying to remember the stats. I mean, I remember I took a sociology class at SFA. So public university, sociology is a known liberal field. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about sexuality and various issues around that. And I think at the time, so this would have been like 2011, 2012, they were saying that somewhere between 2 and 4% of people would land somewhere on the LGBT spectrum. Like just 2 to 4% of the population. And then I was recently reading... um I'm going to get this stat a little off because I don't remember it exactly, but they were talking about this poll that was done, and I think it was just in the UK, but a similar thing would be found in the US, that the number of teenagers who identified as trans in the last 
I think it was only like five years or something. Like it was a really short timeline. Went up like 40,000%. Wow. I mean like just sociologically, you can't make sense of that without it being like a narrative that was pushed and people believed at such a young age that they were just brainwashed into it. Like 40,000% of a population doesn't change overnight. No. Or anything. Yeah. So the fact that that's happening should be like a massive red flag specifically around what our children are being exposed to. Yeah. And I think really the idea of image bearer needs to be taught up at a young age because I do think that kids need to understand that we are made in God's image, not as we have defined God's image, but as God has defined his image. I mean, and, and we, that doesn't mean that God looks like a human. Yeah. But it means that how we are relational beings, mm-hmm. how we work, like there's a whole bunch of implications on what all that could mean. But it, like yeah. you're saying, it, it comes back to give us like something to ground our identity in. Yeah. And so I think that that's really where we have to, as churches, we have to push that, uh, that narrative of saying, you know, if you were not made in the image of God, um, and you are just a being that is fluid and gets to do whatever, then there's really no intentionality or purpose. Like there's no, there's no goal that you're trying. You're just trying to be the most fluid thing that you can. Well, and it used to be that Christians were like mocked relentlessly on university campuses. Cause it's like, you don't believe in science. And then it's like, when, if we bring up, you know, chromosomes or anything like that in this debate it's like well you're just a bigot it's like yeah, no, yeah i'm yeah. trying to meet you where you were at five years ago when it came to science <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and still i think science is trying to create answers for a lot of this narrative that's being pushed because i think there's pressure even in the scientific field to say hey listen we've got this group over here that believes this 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 and this and like oh well i think you see that in the soft sciences like sociology and psychology but a lot of the hard sciences, I mean, there's a lot of tenured biology professors that are just saying like, this is whack. Well, and they're trying to add things that can attach to your DNA that can cause different things to happen to you. I mean, DNA manipulation has been around for years and years and years and years and years. So it's not uncommon for people to want to do that. But again, going back to us as believers, we believe that God created for a purpose and for a reason and that he created it systematically in such a way because it, it has value. Yeah. There's so a right and wrong way to be human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that when we distort that or try to create something different with it, we take away the value of humanity. And it's, it's, it's time that we regain value. It's time that we regain purpose and we regain intentionality. And, um, but I think, again, there's probably a right and wrong way to do that too. And I think one of the reasons that we've struggled with it so much is because we've done it a wrong way so many times and growing up I guarantee people are like well you know if I ever said anything like that I was just you need to man up do this or you need to you know you don't act like that because you're a lady and blah 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 and so people felt like golly I'm so trapped well guess what they're going to have kids if they remember trauma in their life they're going to work hard to not pass that trauma on to their kids well if that kid feels traumatic well then they're going to try really hard to not pass that on I mean so we're we're not seeing something that happened overnight. We're seeing something that gradually happened. And as it gradually happened, now we're seeing where, okay, it's like a snowball effect. Start off with a small snowball. After a while, you've consumed so many bodies that it doesn't really, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really, it, it's not a, a guess anymore. Yeah. It's what's there. So anyway. I mean, we could also say this is why Christians are pro-life. I think most of our people are on the same page with that one. Yeah. I mean, so there's other implications to the Imago day, but yeah, we, we could also talk about a theology of work differences between men and women. There's a lot there, but that's at least an introduction to it. Oh yeah. Sorry. So there, okay. <laughs> we're going to have to make this three parts if we don't keep going. Yeah. If we don't keep going, we're going to keep. Yeah. Okay. So next one should be a simple one. If you were to start reading the scriptures with a non-Christian, where would you start? Oh man. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, Genesis one. No, uh, you know, people always would say, Oh, you gotta start in the new Testament. Oh, you gotta start here. You guys, 
and that's where it's hard. Like I, I remember as a Christian, as a young Christian saying, okay, I need to read the Bible. I'm going to start the book of Matthew because it's the new Testament and talks about Jesus. So I get through the genealogy. And when you know about the, the understanding of the genealogy, why it's important, it's different. But if it's just the genealogy, you're going, Oh my gosh. And then you're reading the King James, right? Cause everybody's so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And I'm like, I'm in fifth grade. I don't know what begat means. Like I'm having to look stuff up or, so I think that when it comes to the, even that aspect, we have to look at it as um, starting off in scripture. If you're, if you're encouraging someone to read on their own, as opposed to you reading alongside them, is that kind of what it's saying? No, it says with. So With. Okay. Well, that's even better because I would say pick a book that you are already familiar with. Don't pick a book and both try to guess at the same time. <laughs> um Definitely, I I would say if it's a non-Christian and you're trying to help them understand who Jesus is, you're going to want to start with a gospel or at least some aspect of the gospel that's going to start off. But you need to find a gospel book and a gospel narrative that you are comfortable with. If it's Luke, start off in Luke. If it is John, start off with John. Most people, I think, would probably start off with John. It seems to be a little bit better narrative and it doesn't require so much uh, back in understanding of, of of the birth story of Jesus, you're kind of getting right into... Or Judaism the, in general. Yeah. I mean, it's there, but it's probably the the least out of the three other Gospels. So you're kind of jumping right into the life and ministry of Jesus at that point. Yeah. Um, and for most people, that's what they want to know. After a while, you can introduce them in to say, well, here's how Jesus came into existence, and, and here's why this is important. Here's where it speaks to this prophecy. Here's where it speaks to this but it's a non-Christian. You're trying to get them just the bare bones basics. What is the essentials? What is the essentials? I think John does a good picture of that. I'm sure that you would probably agree on that one. John and Ephesians were my answers. Yeah. So, and I would even say like, you could jump into like first Peter. I mean, you could even see some of his writings. Um, but again, just remember going back to even genre, some of those things are going to have a different bent in it. So you just have to make sure that again, whatever you read with someone, especially if they're like a non-Christian, you need to be familiar with it as well. So don't don't go in and be like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to study the book of Leviticus. Hey, would you like to study Leviticus with me? It's like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna both drown. Um, don't don't let your first discipleship interaction be a drowning experience. Like, I mean, especially with a non-Christian. Yeah, especially with a it's non-Christian. Like, Old Testament is super important. I'm not at all neglecting that. But if we're trying to start with the gospel. Leviticus is not the place to start. Yeah. Let's give them a picture of what the new covenant looks like first. Who with, is Jesus? What did he do? Why yeah. is that important? With the backdrop of the old Testament and the old covenant and bring that in when we need to. And so, um, you know, it would be like, it would almost be like somebody coming to me and saying, Hey, I'm not a Christian. And me saying, well, you need to be a Calvinist or you need to be an Arminianist or, you know, what, what can't be falling on that? Uh, I woke up today and realized that my life is terrible and I need to change something. You know, I, so you're looking at it from that perspective. You got to look at it from the perspective of this is who people are. This is who the, what, I mean, and even ask yourself, what is our culture dealing with right now? So that person that is a non-Christian, where are they coming from? Do they have any experience in church at all? Or are they literally just going, my parents were uh, hippies that lived in a van um, yeah, I mean, it's just, anyways, there's a lot of questions that I think you need to ask on that one. Okay. So no commentary, just books of the Bible. John. Right, right, right. Yeah. Don't. Anyway, I've seen it done well. And no, then there's no commentary. John. John. That's your answer. Oh yeah. Sorry. John. <laughs> okay. All right. Final question. Okay. <laughs> You're ready to get this over with is what it is. He's ready no, to this get last it one might take a little while. Okay. I don't think we've ever talked about this. So Probably not. This this one could be somewhat controversial. Um, what are your thoughts on Christians reading apocryphal documents? I have no disagreement on that. And my reasoning for that. So yeah, my reasoning. Let's explain what apocryphal documents yeah, are. Yeah, so apocryphal documents. Apocryphal. Uh, you can even look at it as inner deuterocanical books. So there's Ooh, big oh, words. I know deuterocanical. Um, you'll find these more in uh, Catholic Bibles, things like that. Catholics yeah. still use it as semi-authoritative. 
Um, if you've ever wondered why the Catholic Bible has more books than ours, it's the Apocrypha. Yeah. And when in the canonization of scripture, uh, for most uh, Protestants, Christians, and things like that, the reason that these books were removed um, is they felt like they were more historical and did not necessarily point to Jesus um, or at least contain aspects of salvation history in it. Well, there's even a more important part than that, if I remember right, and I'm blanking on where this is in the Gospels, but Jesus even says like from Moses to what we consider the end, Malachi. Yeah. He's like from this to this. Like this is the word. Yeah. Or the like the the old testament. Yeah. And so that's why we stop it there. Yeah. It's like the so what you're saying about the intertestamental period. Yeah. There's four hundred years of silence between the last prophet in the old testament right. to and, John the Baptist stepping on the scene. Yeah. And all of the apocrypha documents are historical text. Yeah. That we have verified historically, but we believe that Jesus said like this was the last time that God spoke. And so we don't view them as scripture because it's like, no, these are just historical documents. Now I think you were saying like perfectly fine with people reading them. Right. Um, and I've got a list in front of me. They are first and second Esdras, Tobit, Juth, um, the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Syriac, also called Ecclesiasticus. Um, one, I don't know how to pronounce. Um, <laughs> Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, the Prayer of Manassas, and First and Second Maccabees. And you got to understand that really the Maccabees, because uh, th- now under- some of these, there's a lot of historical things in there to understand what happened between those years. But even some of those written by Josephus, there was a lot of speculation on even Josephus's work and uh, his ability to record appropriately as a historian. I mean, he was a historian. And so I think even on some of that, they were like, hey, this is good, but this is not necessarily prophetic or it's not, yeah. you know, salvation pointing to a, a coming time where God's going to redeem his people. I mean, if you were to read the entire Bible chronologically, it would be a little weird to jump into the New Testament and be like, where did these Romans come from? Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you kind of see a little bit of that, like in the Maccabees in particular. Yeah. Um, So there's some good historical stuff to know about what happened in between, like what happened to the Jews after Malachi. Yeah. Um, But 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 they're not scripture. Yeah. But that's the important part. I think reading them, it's more important to read them to get a good context of how we came into where we are, like you said. So, But in terms of authoritative, I would say to use it as an authority would be uh, kind of a stretch. And even still, I mean, you got to think of what about the Nicene Fathers and things like that. I mean, there's some great works that are really on the heels of when the apostles were writing that guys were on the scene. I mean, we're talking 60 AD and things like that. And we, we have these works that are recorded. And I mean, I have them in my office, but they're not authoritative. They're yeah. not canonical books, but there's even, there's even letters to the church of Ephesus, you know, at that time. And so we're still seeing that the conversation a lot of times was still going and yeah. that people were still writing. It's not like revelations here. Oh, I guess God, Every, everybody's yeah, done. Everybody quit writing. Um, yeah, no, there's like first and second Clement and there's, there's other yeah. early church letters that are interesting, but we don't consider them scripture. And it's the same thing with the Apocrypha. Yeah. They're historical text that could be beneficial to read, yeah, but do not take them as inspired by Holy Spirit. One of the earliest, yeah, one of the earliest uh, church texts that we have is through Justin Martyr, and and we can see his works and his writings as an encouragement to the church, but again, there was that apostolic aspect where they were kind of like, okay, like these were the guys that were near around and saw the ministry of Jesus. These are guys coming on the scene a little bit later that even though that they are been a part of the church and they may have been around a lot of what was going on. And the, even the apostles, it's kind of like, all right, like we're going to have to take that as what it is. And so I, th- I think that even when we come into like the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that, where they were even finding into the Dead Sea Scrolls, like, what about, you know, this book? What about this book? Uh, what about, uh, what is it? The, there was like a gospel of, 
something that was real prominent there for a while. There's Thomas and there's a gospel of Mary and there's a, there's several other gospel documents that use that word, but they're not the same as the four gospels. Yeah. And even still, like when we even talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, that was like the 1950s, right? Like some kid threw a rock in a cave and found a bunch of clay pots full of old manuscripts. Yeah. And so... And some of them were apocryphal documents. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of to be expected if you find any sort of archaeological find like that. But mostly what the Dead Sea Scrolls did was just show like, oh, the texts that we did have, like they stayed consistent through all of history being transferred. And so, if anything, the Dead Sea Scrolls should encourage our confidence in the authority of Scripture. But I'm sure that was a big... I mean, I'm sure, especially if you grew up in that time and you're hearing news reports of like, uh, they found some documents. <laughs> and so, I'm sure it could be kind of a scary time for you. But what we've discovered over the years is this: these things continue to remain true. And even in archaeology right now, we're still finding more and more evidence of what Scripture has affirmed uh, was true and what took place. Um, but, I, you know, to me, as a Christian, I don't see anything wrong with reading apocryphal documents as long as you understand that we are not looking at them as authoritative and inerrant works of Scripture. It's the same, and I would tell you the same thing with the, uh, what is it, the Book of Mormon or even the New works of Jesus through the Latter-day Saints. I mean, um, no, that's straight up cult. That's not the same thing. Right. But <laughs> they promote that as this is, this is the new Testament of Jesus. Um, and so you can look at that and say, Oh, well, people can read that and know more. It's like, like she said, that's more cultic <laughs> than it is anything else. So I wouldn't tote, the Apocrypha in the same genre as like those books. The Apocrypha to me does have a little bit more historical significance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I thought you were saying they were similar. No, 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 they're not similar. No, (laughs) the Apocrypha has a lot more historical significance than the, Oh man, what are I, I guess the best way to describe those is the false writings of uh, what you can pick up for free just by making a phone call. And, so if you're interested, like in the intertestamental period, I think there's some neat things in there. It does give you a clear picture. And I've read many, many of a, of a commentary that brings those things up in order that they may paint a better picture of why this was important for this time, because this is what the Jewish people, from what we can tell through historians, this is what the Jewish people were facing at that time. And it's recorded in this book or in this or in this or in this. It's just like if we were to pick up a book on World War II, whoever that author is, they're writing from a perspective of World War II as history. They may not have been there, but through their study and their research, they're writing and saying, this is what was going on at this time. A lot of these things, this is what was kind of going on at that time. But you have to remember that those writers were more historians than they were uh, divinely inspired by God to write things. And so, um, so for understanding in terms of context, I think that there's moments where it can be fine. I wouldn't preach from it. Never. Never. Um, I, and I'm, you know, you could reference it maybe, but again, even still though, you'd want to be very clear. Like this is a historical text. I'm not yeah. saying this is the same as scripture. Yeah. And I have a book on the works of Josephus that deals specifically with understanding a little bit of where he came from and what he was working with. But again, Josephus was a historian. Um, and, and you got to know that from the beginning. So, uh, where, you know, Matthew was not a historian. Uh, Paul was not a historian. These were apostles. These were guys that had been with Jesus that were a part of that ministry. And so there's a little bit more meat on the bones with those. So I think that to me, you can, I mean, you can read it. Just don't make it your only source of, of spiritual encouragement. (laughs) You're going to need that. You're going to need to do something else on that too. But is that it? Do we do all the, the 10 out of yep. the like 40 questions that are on here. <laughs> yep. Those are the ones that I marked for today. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, there's some more that we need to uh, go do our own homework and research on before we maybe tackle some of the more complicated questions. Yeah. Seminary doesn't prepare you for every question in life. It only prepares you to know how to study for those questions. <laughs> so, uh, some of this is going to take us some time. Um, 
but you know, some of these we, we've already addressed before, you know, talking about Sabbath and things like that. And we've actually talked to both of our spouses about coming on and doing a podcast. And we really want to do a podcast with them on the role of counseling and Christianity. Uh, since both of our spouses are counselors, um, we just got to poke and prod them a little bit more and find some babysitting somewhere in there so we can actually do these things. Um, but we, uh, we hope that you guys are encouraged by just some Q and a time. Um, we really do take your questions seriously. Uh, we enjoy the questions that we get that come in and we try not to, uh, banter too much with them, but, uh, there are certain questions, like we said, they're going to take us some more time. So, but if you have even just a simple, understandable question of, hey, how does this work practically in my life? How does this work this way in my life? How does this, you know, we can do our best um, and we can research things that we need to, or if it's good, we can do something off the cuff. We're cool with it. But anyway, uh, all that to say, check out Right Now Media. Don't forget to do that. And if you have questions on that, please let us know. Uh, Other than that, we really pray and hope that you guys have a blessed and wonderful week this week.